Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Good morning. Uh, This past week, uh, we talked about how we can find joy in trials and difficult times that often we are led through and how we can praise God through those situations. And not only that, but the importance of seeing those trials as opportunities to grow closer to the Lord and what he can do through us when we allow him to work through these trials. Now, I would be remiss if I did not bring up the fact that last week I talked a little bit bad, not on purpose, well, on purpose, and bragged maybe a little bit about Mississippi State beating LSU. And this week, I had told myself I'm not going to bring, bring up the fact that we're playing Arkansas. Mississippi State will probably win. I don't want to do that. Honestly, I didn't want to bring it up two weeks in a row. And then last night when I heard that Arkansas had won, I thought, if I don't bring it up, I'll never get out of here. It'll be like you lining up, being like, we're going to tell him. <laughs> you know? And again, I would have I wholeheartedly deserved that. Um, but I also want to say we had a meeting and decided that we'd give you guys one of your two wins for the season. So you're welcome. We're glad to do it. Glad to take it. I'm just kidding. Um, but this week we're going to talk about temptation and uh, walking through temptation and, and what that looks like and how we're called uh, to respond. And the first thing we got to understand is that trials and temptations are different themselves. So trials are exterior circumstances for the most part. They're not, they're not within us. It's not our sin nature trying to draw those things out of us and to get us to make decisions. So they're things that are completely out of our control. So trials are things like physical ailments or hardships, difficult times, anything that happens to us that is out of our control that we can do nothing about. Now, sometimes hardships and trials can come to us because of some decisions that we've made, but it's things that ultimately in that moment we cannot Control And temptations are different than that. We have control of our thoughts and our actions. And temptations are an attempt to have us respond to a certain way to external circumstances. So when we're tempted to do something, we're tempted to react in a way. Ultimately, it's our choice how we react in that moment to those things. So this, this is a gross oversimplification of what this looks like. But hardship is when your doctor tells you that you can't eat red meat. Okay? Temptation is when someone dangles a steak in front of your face when your doctor has told you not to eat red meat, right? Like in that situation, we can't help that we, that we shouldn't eat red meat, but we can in that moment make a decision as to whether we take a hold of that steak and chew it and all of that. We can't help the hardship, but we can help our response to it. That's temptation. That's what it is. And they're intertwined. Oftentimes, external circumstances affect our internal decisions, Right? In situations where we're maybe having a bad day or we're frustrated or maybe it's been a long-term thing that we've been walking through and we've been experiencing and after all of that, we respond in a moment of frustration. Uh, Maybe you lose your temper. Maybe uh, you make an emotional decision rather than thinking through a decision logically. Ultimately, that's our choice as to how we react to those things when we internalize judgment and we allow it to cloud our judgment, right? Or we, we eternalize hardship and allow it to cloud our judgment. But the thing that we have to realize is that we control our responses to these things. And that's what James is trying to tell everyone in this passage, is that how we react to temptation is our doing. 
How we, how we respond in situations is our doing. It is our choice, our decision. So back in James chapter 1, uh, verse 12 through 15, and 12 serves as kind of a bridge between this idea of, of hardships and trials and temptation. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test of time, he will re- or the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So God tells us in this moment through scripture, uh, the Lord is saying, hey, here's your reward. James is saying, here's your reward when you go through hardships, when you get to the end, when you, uh, when you walk through those and you allow the Lord to use it. This is your reward. You will receive a crown of life. And God has promised that to those who love him, to those who lean on him, to those who submit to him. And then immediately he goes, because again, James is human. He understands how we work. He understands the human experience. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it was fully grown, brings forth death. Lord, I pray today that, uh, uh, that we don't allow um, the, the enemy to distract us, that we don't allow the enemy to, to tell us one thing, to, to draw us away from what the message of this passage is, God, which is that we have a choice to make in every situation to, to do what is, what is godly, what is of you, to do what is good, or to do what is not of you. And Lord, I pray that as we walk through this, that we, we examine ourselves we look in our own lives and see the areas where, where we're tempted. We see the areas where we give in. And Lord, we see the areas where maybe, maybe we haven't even noticed that this is happening, that we are being tempted, that we are giving in. Lord, make us teachable, make us vulnerable. In your name I pray, amen. So uh, the, the big takeaway thing that we've got to understand from this passage is that God, we cannot blame God for our sinful nature. The desire to sin that is within all of us, the desire to be selfish with our own desires, to, to do what we want to do, is not part of what God intended for us. And he doesn't make us do those things. It was not part of his creation, nor was it part of his intention in his creation. So there are three things we learn from this. Number one, that God does not tempt us. God doesn't tempt us. Now, last week we talked about hardship and walking through hardships. And it's easy to sometimes think, well, God is tempting me in this situation. God is, God is wanting me to do this. God is expecting me to do this. But it's, it's much more difficult than that. It's, it's much more complex than that. Because God allows our faith to be tested through trials. But he does not tempt us to sin. God allows us to walk through difficult times and difficult moments but he does not desire for us to sin. He desires for our faith to be strengthened. So um, when we think, if you think about this, whenever steel is made, and whenever you make steel, like if a blacksmith is making steel, what he does is he takes iron, cuts it up, heats it very hot, it melts together into what's called a bloom. Now this bloom kind of looks, uh, looks like a sponge. It's got holes in it, it's got voids, it's got all these different things in it. And it's not, it's not good for anything at that point. But what a blacksmith does is he takes that and he slowly begins to tap on it with a hammer. He doesn't hit it hard in the beginning. 
he slowly begins to tap on it with a hammer. And what happens is that starts compressing and it gets smaller and it gets more solid. Those voids are pushed out. All of these different things begin to get to happen. It's, it's slower. And as it gets more and more compact, that blacksmith hits it a little bit harder and a little bit harder and a little bit harder. And what it does is it continues to compact and those voids are out eventually to where he's hitting extremely hard and it becomes useful after that. It becomes steel that we know and you can make tools. You can make all sorts of things with it. But in the beginning, it's not that beneficial. It's very brittle. In fact, if it, maybe if a blacksmith gets impatient or if he hits it too hard too early, it'll, it's brittle, it'll crack, it'll break, and it becomes useless at that point. But you see, the blacksmith's intention is never ever to break the bloom of steel. His intention is to make it stronger through that. And God's the exact same way. God's allowance of hardship in our lives is not to make us sin. It is encourage, to encourage us to keep our eyes on him, to make us stronger, to bring us closer to him in more of a meaningful relationship with the Lord so that eventually we can withstand more and more hardship, be closer to him, and become useful. Because we can't blame God for our sinful nature, nor can we blame him for our response to temptation. It's our decision. And verse 13 tells us this. It tells us two things. That God himself cannot be tempted. God has no sinful nature, right? He has no sinful tendencies. He has no, uh, no want to do what is wrong. He has no desire to do anything but good. And again, this isn't apathy towards sin. It's not that God's just like, well, I don't want anything to do with sin. God hates sin because God is good. And he would never want us to sin because God is good. God wants good for us. He wants us to do good. And God is the epitome and the embodiment of good. Everything that is good comes from him. He establishes and dictates and gives everything to us that is good. If something is truly good, then it is truly of God because God is the giver of all good things. Any sort of good you can think of, not our perception of good, but good in general, the most basic level of good comes from God. He's the one who gives us that. And because of that, God cannot tempt us to do anything that is not good. He's incapable of it. There, there's no room for error. There's no ever any lapse of judgment. God does not mess up. He doesn't go, oh man, that was the wrong thing I asked them to do. God always wants us to do good. And it's, there's no moving goalposts. It's not like we wake up in the morning and we say, you know what, God, what is good today that wasn't good yesterday? What, what, is, what is the thing I should believe in today that you didn't want me to believe in yesterday? That's how culture is. Culture, often something that was good last week isn't good this week. There's no moving goalpost. God is constant. We worship a perfect, holy, consistent God. And God has always known and does always know what is best for us. And he knows that sin is not what is best for us. In fact, if it is for us to pursue him, even through hardships. So God gives us these hardships. He gives us these difficult times in order to draw us closer back to him, to help us see that the world is not what we're called to desire. We're called to desire God and relationship with him. God wants to keep us from sin and to prepare us to be tempted by sin. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In every single situation that we go through, every choice that we make, everything, God wants for us 
to consider what is best, what he wants from the smallest decision to the biggest decisions. And whenever we do that, it brings joy to him. God wants us to seek out his counsel. God wants us to ask that in situations. God wants us to pray about choices, maybe even choices that don't seem like that big a deal, to say, God, what is best in this situation? He desires for us to do that. And whenever we're tempted to not do those things, we have a choice to make. We're the ones who decide. Our response to temptation is our decision. We're the ones who decide what, is, what we're going to do with what's in front of us. And the thing is that uh, every single temptation appeals to our natural God-given desires. Does that mean that, that, you know, that we're tempted to do what God want, or to do bad because of what God has given us? No, it means that the things that God gave us, the desires that God put in us, Satan uses those God-given desires to try to draw our attention away from the Lord. God intends us, or God intends those things to bind us to him, those desires that he's put within us. He put them there so that we could depend on him, so that we could give him our lives. Remember, he's the one who gives all good things. So these desires within us are good things. He wants good for us. And so we have to want to depend on him. He wants us to depend on him for those good things. We want what's good, right? All of us can agree we want what's good. And our perception of good may be skewed, but ultimately we say, I want what's good in in the world and in life. I want those things. Well, God's the giver of good things, meaning that God has put that desire to want good in our lives so that we will depend on him for good. These things, joy, fulfillment, self-worth, and purpose, none of these things are bad for us to feel. None of these things are things that, you know, that we shouldn't want or that we shouldn't desire. God has put these desires in humanity and he intends us to achieve them through a relationship with him. He's called us to all of these desires in us, all of these things. Paul talked about being uh, content. He wants us to be content in him, not content in things of the world. Meaning that we, our goal is not to go, well, for me to be content, the world has to line up with everything I want it to. God wants us to say, for me to be content, all I have to do is depend on the Lord. All I have to do is put my faith and trust and hope in him. Now what sin does is sin takes those desires that God has put in us and sin tells us that we can achieve them through any other means other than the Lord. Anything else, you can get those desires. Ravi Zacharias said that good is naturally attractive, but evil is naturally seductive. We, like, we want what is good. What is good is beautiful. We can see that, but what evil does and what Satan does is he tells us, hey, but you can do this. It's easier to do it this way. Take the short way. Take the easy way out. Do what's easier in the moment. So sin tells us, you want joy? Look at all the world has to offer. Look at what the world can give you. Look at what you can do. All these things can go to you. Listen, and you can be joyful by achieving these things. These things will bring you joy. You want fulfillment? Listen, make money, have the perfect family. Have the perfect house. You know, do the things you want to do. Uh, you know, be titans of industry. You know, go do all of these different things. And it will bring you fulfillment. And if you don't feel fulfillment, just keep going. Keep desiring those things. Keep working harder. Do all of these things. All of these things will bring you fulfillment. Self-worth. Imagine if you're fulfilled. Imagine when you get that good at the things that you're desiring that bring you fulfillment. Imagine what everybody's going to say about you. Imagine how people are going to lift you up and how they're going to look at you. Man, they're going to think you're the best. They're going to think you've got everything. 
And again, if, if we don't believe that, how often do we look at other people and go, man, they've got everything that I want. That's your, and sin tells us that's your self-worth for people to want to be like you, for people to want what you have. Purpose, what do we do for purpose? Well, I'll tell you what, you do all of these things that we just mentioned and you'll fulfill your purpose. You'll feel, you'll feel meaningful. You'll feel what you need to feel. Do all of these things. Let the, joy bring, let the world bring you joy. Let the, let the world uh, bring you fulfillment. Let the world establish your worth and then you will fulfill your purpose. You see, sin is not as simple as just doing bad things. It is us trying to fulfill our God-given desires on our own terms and through our own worldly means. That's the reason it's effective because it's natural for me to want purpose. It's natural for me to want to be fulfilled. It's natural for me to want to be joyful or to, to want to be worth something, to be seen as something. The song we sang earlier talked about, you know, you, uh, I am who you say I am. That's what we're called to do. We're called to find all of those things in the Lord, but so often we believe the lie that we'll find it in the world, that we can find all of those things. And because these are good desires to have, these are good things God has given us, that is why our family, our work, our social circle, and even our ministry can become idols. We find all of our fulfillment, all of those things in that. Is it bad to have a family? No. Obviously, Scripture speaks very clearly about how good family is and how meaningful that is. We're called to work. Scripture tells us that it's a good thing for us to work, for us to accomplish things. Uh, it tells us that, again, we are found our identity in Christ and that our self-worth is tied to that. And as we read last week, God wants us to be joyful. All of these things are good. In fact, from a pastoral standpoint, if I can be really vulnerable for a second, there's oftentimes I'm tempted to tie my success and to tie my meaning and to, and to tie all of those things to how well my ministry is going. Look at how good we did on this. Look at how good, man, this is great. This is wonderful. When in reality, the best thing that I can do for my ministry or my family or for any of those things is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And everything flows out of that. The best way for me to love my wife and to love my kid is for me to love the Lord first. The best thing I can do for my ministry is for me to love the Lord first and depend on him. The best thing that I can do for any of that is to depend on the Lord. But what we do is we let those things become idols. That becomes the end goal. That becomes what we work toward. I want to be the boss. I want to, be, I want to make lots of money. I want to do all of these things. You see, an idol is anything that we worship other than God as though it is God himself. So the thing is, temptation is when Satan encourages us to see ourselves as capable of fulfilling our own God-filled God desires. And this puts us on the same level of thinking as God himself. And again, we, we would never go, man, you know, I was tempted. Once again, I compared myself to God and said, I'm just as good as he is. We don't say that. We don't process that way. We don't think that way. But at the end of the day, we create idols to mask our self-dependence. We put these things in our lives to mask ourselves, our self-dependence. Most people want to worship something. It's the reason that in, uh, you can go to a tribe that's not been contacted by the modern world um, for decades and centuries, and they, can st they still have gods. They want to worship something. We all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. The problem is, is that we want to be the ones who create and control those idols. And think about our modern-day idols. 
Money, power, influence, sports, social media, all of these things are things that we see as bigger than ourselves, but they're also things that we control. We're fine with worshiping something as long as it's on our terms. We're fine with following something blindly as long as it's something that we can control. And that's all Satan has to do is say, hey, this will give you what you want. What you're seeking, this feeling, that's normal. This will give you what you want. When we make the decision to give in to temptation and depend on anything other than the Lord, it is our own doing. Scripture tells us exactly what we're called to do. It tells us exactly how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to respond to situations. And we have a choice to make in every decision as to whether we give in to what is best or as do we give in to what is in that moment, that self-gratification. Think about the original sin. So the serpent comes and uh, it tempts Adam or it tempts Eve. Um, and once they've sinned, they realize they've sinned, they cover themselves and they hide. Now, God came and walked in the cool of the evening with them and he asked, well, you know, where are you? And Adam says, oh, I'm hiding because I'm naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? So Adam says, God, I'm hiding because I feel shame. And God says, who told you to feel shameful? They'd never experienced shame. They've never experienced anything like this. Who told you to feel that way? And Adam answers and says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. So Adam immediately in this moment blames the woman and a little bit God as, as well. So he says, listen, God, the woman that you gave me, remember, you, that was you. You're the, one, you're the one who gave her to me. The thing that made me, that tempted me, that was you're the one who gave her to me in that moment. But ultimately, I'm not blaming you, but you are the one who gave her to me. And, and she was the one who told me to eat of the fruit. So God asks the woman, what is this you've done? And she says, well, the, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It was the serpent who deceived me and I ate. Now, the thing is, Adam and Eve blamed Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, but they made the decision to do what the Lord told them not to do. They actively made that decision. And when we give in to sin, we are the ones who choose to do so. We're the ones who make that decision ultimately to do that thing. And we don't like, we don't like taking that responsibility, right? We like blaming other people or blaming situations or I did it because of this. However, when we make the decision to not sin and instead we lean into the, war, into the Lord, he's faithful to answer. He's faithful to give us grace. He's faithful to help us along in those situations. And he, he loves doing that. He loves it when we do that. Corinthians 10.13, or uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will let you be tempted beyond, or he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We have to keep our focus on the Lord constantly. We have to continuously dwell on him and see him and look at him. Look at what he's told us. Understand what he's told us. Pursue what he's told us to pursue. Because most, most of the time when we get to that point where we feel like we can't we can't resist temptation. We've already said yes a million times to temptation. To these little things, taking these little steps and going through there. When we truly look back, we can go, oh, I can see where I made the wrong decision here and then here and then here and then here. And then we get to this point where we say, I can't, I, I can't get myself out of this. I can't, I, I can't resist this temptation. 
This is why even the smallest of temptations are a big deal for us to resist, for us to push against to seek the Lord. It's not that it's not that it's not that you know we're a coward. It's not that it's not that I think you know what you know what I I, I can I can handle this myself. Whenever I go to the Lord, even for the smallest temptations, and pursue Him, even in the smallest of moments, it's because I know what I'm capable of. It's because I see down the road. I can see how a lot of little decisions can lead me to make a terrible decision. I can see how saying yes to a lot of small temptations eventually gets to say where I say yes to a much worse situation. We have to keep our focus on the Lord. You see, because the snowball is never easier to stop than when it's at the top of the hill, right? The more and more we say yes, the further the snowball gets down the hill, the bigger it gets, the harder it is to stop, the harder it is to resist. See, whenever we fall into sin, like whenever we get this big sin in our lives, this big, horrendous sin, it never just happens. People don't just decide from one day to not give in to temptation and the next day give in to this huge temptation. It's a slow process. It always begins with saying yes to something small. We convince ourselves, well, you know what, if I do it this once, it's not a big deal. Or if I give in to this small thing, no one will, no one will ever know. It doesn't hurt anybody. It's not a bad thing. And eventually that thing grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's the key that we have to realize that temptation is never apparent. It's never just this big, big, massive thing in front of us, right? Whenever we give in to those small temptations, it's always subtle. Verse 14 says that uh, it uses the terms lured and enticed. Think about a hunter in this situation. Think about what a hunter does and how a hunter gets its prey. Uh, the hunter lures its prey exactly where it wants it, in the best place. There's an ideal place to make that kill, to make that move finally. Most people don't hunt in subdivisions, hopefully. It's not the best. Please don't do that if you do. They hunt in the woods. They hunt where the animal feels comfortable. They hunt where it feels safe. And as a hunter, you don't want your prey to, know you, or to notice you. So what do you do? You, you mask your scent. You wear camouflage. You, uh, you come in under the cover of darkness and you remain quiet. The goal is for your prey to never know you're there, to never know you're present. Successful hunting requires knowing the land and understanding your prey, being patient and waiting for it to come where you want it and where you need it. Hunters often use bait that they know will attract their prey, or possibly they may use a call that will attract their prey. So this is the enticing. They make it look like it's something they want. Think about a worm on a hook. The fish never sees the hook. The fish sees the worm. It's this bait that, that, that we'll put in front of it. It's this thing, this immediate gratification. This, in this moment, is what you want so bad. I understand it. Now, the frustrating part for us is that Satan is a masterful hunter. He's very, very, very good. He's prepared. He's patient. He knows the landscape. He knows his hunting ground because it's his backyard. He knows what our desires are and he knows what each of our insecurities are. So it's not a blanket thing. He knows exactly what you struggle with. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you're experiencing and he knows exactly what to do to try to draw you in. Your bait might not be the same as mine. And he knows that. So he uses the ideal bait and he waits. 
He doesn't immediately expect you to do it. No, it's slow. It's subtle. It's not gaudy and over the top. You try running in the woods and screaming and killing something, it's going to be a long day of hunting and you're going to go home hungry. He's patient. He knows what to do. He knows what it takes. It's sneaky. It's a process of walking through. Verse 15 says, Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth to death. You see, that desire doesn't jump to death immediately. It's the idea. It's the planting of that seed. It's the, it's the slow, meticulous that eventually comes into the sin. And then as that sin matures, as, it, as the more we fall into it, the more uh, we go into it, the more that we do it, the easier it becomes. And the less we feel guilty about it, the less we feel that conviction about it. And that brings about death. It's this process of we have these natural God-given desires that he's given us in order to depend on him. The enemy deceives us into thinking that we ourselves are capable of fulfilling those desires by any means necessary. This is where temptation comes in. It's the deception. It's, It's the enemy. It's Satan saying, hey, listen, like I know God, this is what he said you should do, but this is like the shortcut. This is the easy part. This is the simple thing. Again, is it bad? Is it bad to want to do well on a test? No, it's not bad to study and to listen and to do well on a test. It is bad to cheat in order to do well on a test. So Satan uses our natural God-given desires, what God intended for good, to try to turn it on its head and to try to get us to depend on ourselves. And once we give into that, once we choose to believe in ourselves, it contradicts God's plan for us, which slowly leads to the consequences of our actions, which is death. It's a tried and true method. It's worked all of history. This is, this is simple. This is exactly how it goes every single time that we experience. Think about, uh, go, go to the fall, the original sin, Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said, we may eat of the tr- fruit of the trees, or, or yeah, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, "You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die." So in this moment, she quotes exactly what God had told her. She said, "Hey, we can do all of this stuff, but we can't do this one thing because this is the consequence of this one thing God told us not to do." And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the serpent tells her, listen, he's saying that he's trying to keep something from you. How often is that the way that Satan tempts us? We know that what we're called to do in the Lord or what the Lord calls us to do in this world. And Satan says, yeah, listen, he's just trying to keep you from doing this thing. He wants to keep you from fun and joy and all these things. You don't, want to be, you, you don't want to be looked down on because you're a Christian. You don't want to be looked at as a goody two-shoes. You don't want to be looked at these things. This is what you really want. This is what you really want to experience. You want to be joyful. Well, this is a quick, easy way to joy. God tells you you won't have joy till later. I can give you joy now. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes... And while the tree was, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. 
You see, Eve, Eve was never told, don't eat any fruit. Don't eat any of the fruit in the garden. She was told to eat of the fruit of the garden, except for this one tree here. She had been given every plant, all of which were perfect and beautiful. She'd experienced this beautiful, again, this is Eden. This is the world as God intended it. This is perfect. This is ideal. Despite all the beautiful things we see in this world, they're nothing compared to what God's original creation was. And Eve got to see it, got to experience, got to, got to actually walk in it and experience it. But he told her, but not this tree. She'd actually walked with God and not, not walked with God like when we talk about our relationship, like my walk with God. Literally, she walked alongside God. She'd spoke with him. She experienced him in the flesh. Um, uh, she got to experience him. She got to see him. It was perfect. She lived an ideal life. She never felt pain or anguish or shame or heartache or frustration. Nothing negative. She'd never experienced any of that. Remember, God is good. And at this time, everything in the world was perfect and good. She had been given Everything except for this one tree. It wasn't sinful for Eve to eat. God encouraged her to eat. It wasn't sinful for her to enjoy the beauty of God's creation. God wanted her to do that. God told them to subdue the earth. It wasn't sinful for her to want to know more. No, God doesn't mind knowing. God doesn't want, it's not that God wants to keep us ignorant. God wants us to experience scripture and to learn more and to grow and to build and to, and to make up uh, and to make ourselves wise. But all of those things became sinful when she was no longer satisfied with all that the Lord had given her. Those natural God-given desires, when we give them to the Lord, when we take the Lord and we fulfill those desires within us with our relationship with him, God blesses it. But when we fill them with anything else, it is called sin. See, God did not tempt Adam and Eve to eat the fruit. He didn't. We asked the question, well, why would God even put it there? Why, why would God even put this, this tree in the middle of the garden if he didn't want them to eat it? But God wanted them to make the decision to follow him and to do what he said and to be one with him. It's the opposite. God told them, hey, don't eat of this because this will happen. God gave them the consequences of their actions if they did what they weren't supposed to do. This is what God had told them. He didn't, again, it wasn't a bait and switch moment. It wasn't that. God said, don't do this. If you do this, this will happen. But Satan used subtlety and deception to tempt Adam and Eve. But at the end of the day, it was Adam and Eve who made the decision. It was them who gave into it. Again, God, it wasn't that God said, hey, don't mess with that tree. No, when Satan said, hey, what did God say about this tree? Adam, or Eve straight up said, he said this about the tree. And he said, are you sure that? He just doesn't want you to do this. They were deceived, yes, but they knew what God had told them. They weren't force-fed the fruit. They took of it. They took of it willingly. And the real reason we fall into temptation is that we forget the consequences we forget in that moment, we forget what God has told us would happen. We let our guard down. Why, again, why, why is it easier to sin whenever we're tired or whenever we're, whenever we're frustrated or whenever we're going through something difficult? We let our guard down. We decide that we want that instant gratification. But ironically, the way to deal with temptation is to see past the instant gratification. Rather than look at what I get in this moment is to look beyond that. 
to see that crown of life, to see God, to see what he's told us would happen, to see who he is. We have to look at the eternal effects of both. And that sounds really heavy for small decisions. Like you think, really? I mean, that, that seems like one small bad decision is going to lead me to that. That's not what I'm saying. But most of the time, those one small decisions aren't an unrelated thing. They lead to the next slightly bigger decision, which leads to the next slightly bigger decision. We continue down that path. and Before we know it, we don't even feel bad about the things we were doing. Conviction is gone. We're numb to it. We're numb to the Lord. Maybe, maybe we're still reading scripture, but we're reading it because we feel obligated to read it, not because we know that it is a living, breathing word of God. Every time we're tempted, we have to think back on what our faithfulness to the Lord will bring. Every time we're in those situations, we have to look back and say, okay, God, in this moment, what is next? What do you want me to do? God, I can, I can recognize this as what it is. It's temptation. What do you want me to do? Look back to what our faithfulness in the past has led us to. Or we look back on what our lack of faithfulness will bring when we should withstand temptation. And whenever we do that, like so oftentimes what happens is in the moment we make a snap decision. And we make a decision to pursue what, uh, to give in to the temptation in the very moment that's in front of us, rather than looking beyond it, looking at what God has called us to, looking at what God wants us to do. But the thing is, whenever we begin thinking about the consequences of our actions, whether that's being faithful to the Lord in that moment or giving in to temptation, if we do that, much more often do we see and recognize that we are in fact being tempted in that moment. Again, the hunter's goal is to not be seen. It's much easier to withstand temptation when you know that you're being tempted than it is when you don't know. This is the importance of constantly growing in our relationship with the Lord by reading scripture and praying and welcoming accountability and avoiding areas and situations we know will tempt us. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, how did he respond? He quoted scripture. How did he know to quote scripture? He studied scripture. He memorized scripture. When Jesus was about to go through something difficult or walk through a difficult time, how did he respond? He, spent t- he took time alone and he prayed. He experienced the Lord. He was in constant communication with the Lord. That's why, it, that's why uh, we're encouraged to read the word daily and to pray daily and to pray with our families and encourage them and for parents, for us to model that for our kids and to show them that and to make sure they're reading the word and to make sure they're praying. Because that is what we are called to do. That is how we deal with temptation. And God tells us the consequences of both being faithful and giving in. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we take our eyes off of Christ, we lose focus on the goal, which is our fulfillment of our God-given desires through him who's created us. He's the only one who can satisfy those desires in us. And every time we resist temptation, every time we push back against that, God blesses that effort. When we see the blessings of the Lord and when we seek them out, we begin to actively resist areas that we know will tempt us. Sometimes it may seem like a little silly like what what we're doing. Again, I know that, I know people, I know grown men who will not sleep with their phone next to their bed. Because oftentimes when you can't sleep, what do you do? You grab your phone. 
as your mind begins to wonder and as you begin searching, the temptation is there to maybe look at, to look at something you shouldn't look at. I know people, again, I know people who are, who are alcoholics and who have experienced that in their life who they don't go near bars or they don't go in places where alcohol is sold because they know that temptation. They've experienced that. Whenever we grow in the Lord and we see his blessings, we begin to actively resist those areas. So it's no longer about standing there face to face with temptation and resisting it. It's about never going in the room in the first place. To the point where maybe, maybe it seems silly. Maybe, you know, people, really, you can't, you honestly don't have the self-control to sleep with a phone next to your bed? You know what? No. Well, that's immature. No, it's spiritually mature knowing where I'm tempted and not going there. That's the idea behind spiritual maturity. That's the idea of seeing that. We become aware when we are being tempted. And therefore, we become more prepared to walk through them. We begin to notice when, how temptation looks in our lives. We begin to notice in those moments of frustration and aggravation, we begin seeing, oh, I'm tempted to do this. I need, I need to realign. I need to take, my, you know, I need to take uh, my problems to the Lord or I need to read scripture or I need to walk through it. That's the importance of memorizing scriptures in that moment the same way as Jesus did when he was tempted to, to roll through that, to walk through that, to experience that. Whenever we do that, we begin to become more prepared to walk through temptations. We begin noticing the traps and know how to avoid them. We know the bait and where the bait is and we know where to get away and we notice the hunter himself who's trying to draw us in. That's the importance of constantly growing in our relationship with Christ, constantly reading scripture, even when it seems inconvenient, even when we're tired or exhausted. That's when we're most vulnerable to make time for the Lord. And not only that, but to walk constantly in our everyday life when we're at work, when we're with our family, when we're by ourselves, to constantly be thinking about the Lord and thinking about the decisions that are before us in that very moment. We constantly remind ourselves that our joy is not found in what our enemies have to offer, but it's found in the closer that we come to our Creator. That's what brings us joy. That's why we can count it all joy when we walk through trials in difficult times. That's why we can count it all joy that even when temptation seems so enticing and seems so easy to give into, but we resist it, we can count it as joy because it brings us closer to the Lord. Again, God's goal is not for us to sin. God's goal is for us to grow closer to him because we know that our fulfillment and our self-worth and our purpose are not in this world. They're not part of this world. They're with our Father in heaven, with our creator when we begin to draw closer to the Lord and to pursue him more wholeheartedly, we bring heaven to earth. God begins to work through us and others around us begin to see that. Talk about a supernatural way of dealing with things. Talk about you know, a supernatural peace and a calm moment that God gives us. The closer we grow to the Lord, yeah, maybe, maybe the more trials we go through, the more that we experience. But at the same time, the more that we grow closer to the Lord. Again, the more often that we pursue the Lord, the closer we grow to the Lord, the, it seems like temptation gets harder and more difficult. That's because we begin to see it more often. That's because the enemy wants you to do anything but that. Again, the goal is not, Satan's goal is not to get you to worship him straightforward. His goal is to get you to worship anything other than the Lord. Pursue anything else. 
Satan's goal is not to get you to throw the dart the opposite way. It's to miss the bullseye, to not focus on the goal, to not look forward. But God is so faithful to bless us when we resist that temptation. And when we read the word, we see where God has done that for others. Whenever we want that joy in our lives and we're missing it, we recount what God's done for us. We look back at how he's been faithful through all the years in our life and we come closer to him. When we're saying, you know what, I don't feel fulfilled. And we, and we see in scripture how God fulfills us and how maybe we're looking for our fulfillment in the, in the wrong places. But he's the one who gives us that fulfillment. And we say, okay, all right. Whenever we begin to look for our self-worth and the world has spit on us and pushed us down and you know, we, we take harsh words from other people terribly and we take it to heart and we begin to get lower, we, we read the word and we pray and God reestablishes that our worth is not found in what anyone in this world can say. Our worth is found in the God who created us. And in that, that is our joy. That is our salvation. That is what we are called to experience. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for thank you for your consistent faithfulness. Thank you for being a constant and an ever-changing world for, uh, for always being who you said you'd be. God, I pray that, that we, we keep our guard up, that we constantly think about what the enemy's putting before us, that we, we, we look inside ourselves, we, uh, that we, we ask you to reveal to us our shortcomings. Where are we vulnerable? What are the things that are, that are coming against us? God, where, what are my insecurities? And Lord, that when those are revealed to us, that we don't, we don't just work to be disciplined to push against them, although that's part of it, but God, that we give those things to you we recognize those areas in our lives and we actively avoid them because we don't want to experience that temptation. Lord, that even in the smallest of decisions, even in the, what seems like it may be a meaningless decision, that the first thing we do is to seek you. What does your word say about it? And that we pray in those situations. God, I, pr- I pray for Maybe there are folks here who have, who have for so long given into temptation that they've become numb to it, that they've become, they just become used to it, God. It's, it's all, tempt, it's so tempting to do that. But Lord, I pray that in that, that today you reveal that to them. Reveal our sin to us, God. Show us where we, we fall short every day. Show us where we are drawn to make mistakes, to choose the world over you. God, we know you're faithful. You're faithful in hardships. You're faithful in temptations. And God, we know that our joy only comes from you. Even, even when, we, when we don't feel that in the moment, even when our emotions tell us differently, even when in our frustrations it seems like that's, that's not true, God, we know that to be true. I pray that we tell ourselves that, that we continue uh, to, to, to do that and that we, we read the word, we read scripture not just to check a part off a list, not because we feel obligated, but we read it knowing that it is your living, breathing word that tells us about you. 
and how to walk with you. Lord, when we pray, I pray we don't just pray for meals or pray for a good day or an easy day or a simple day, but God, I pray that we pray for, for change, that we pray for for you to be glorified in everything. You are the giver of all things that are good. Nothing apart from you is good, Lord. So whenever we experience those good things, I pray that we, get, we have a life of gratitude with our families, with our jobs, being, being in, with the people that we meet for one second. God, I pray that in every situation, in every interaction, in every single moment, whether we're with people or by ourselves, that we bring your glory and that we give you glory, glory that only you deserve, not myself, not anyone else in the world, but that we give all of that to you because you're the only one worth that. You're the only one worth celebrating. You're the only one worth giving to God. Our goal should not be for us to be elevated or for us to, to, for people to look at us and say how good we are. Our goal is to give you glory. And I pray we do that today. Maybe you've, you're walking through something now. Maybe you've, uh, you're, uh, maybe you've fallen so deep into sin. Again, it, conviction has left. You don't even feel the conviction. You've become numb. You've become callous to the Lord and what the Lord can do for you. I pray that you, uh, pray that you take that to God. Our God is, again, our God is not there to beat us down. The Lord's not there to beat us down, to make us feel terrible or horrendous. God is there so that we can be united with him. God is there as our refuge. He is our strength. He is the one that despite what we've done, if we truly repent and we truly turn back to him, he will be faithful to forgive us and to continue to love us. He loves you now, regardless of what you're going through. God loves you. You're not too bad. You're not too terrible. You've not sinned too much. God loves you. He loves even me. How beautiful a God we serve because of that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for, for your son. Again, a... A gesture of love that rather than giving us what we deserve for our sin, that all of us do, that all of us uh, are constantly do, rather than give us what we deserve in that moment, he sends his son so that his son could live the perfect life that we couldn't and died for our sins, taking our punishment, taking on the things that we deserve to experience so that we could be forgiven. And all we have to do is trust him and give our lives to him. You're not too far gone. You're not beyond reach. God's grace is sufficient for you. I'm gonna ask you for the next few minutes, just uh, before you leave, just to pray, pray for God to reveal to you the areas that, that you're giving into temptation, that you're not giving to him. In a world of uncertainty, he's constant. He's consistent. He's the same God he was yesterday and he'll be the same God tomorrow. Lord, thank you for today. May we glorify you in everything we do and may in all things, God, we pursue you. In your name I pray, amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.